Good morning. Welcome back to the program. Each day it seems like life gets more complex. There are more pressures on our time. We're torn in more and more directions. To ground us, we often look for the universal in everyday life, for those things that create order out of chaos and out of the cynicism of daily existence. We seek comfort in the memories of loved ones, in routines we used to appreciate, like that regular weekly phone call, perhaps from a child at school or to an aging parent. Often, even if we're not at all religious, it's a belief in something that might transcend us. These are some of the themes in Mitch Album's new book, First Phone Call from Heaven. Mitch Album is the author of the best-selling Tuesdays with Maury, but also a best-selling novelist, screenwriter, playwright, an award-winning journalist, and even sometime musician. It is my pleasure to welcome Mitch Album back to this program to talk about his newest novel, The First Phone Call from Heaven. Mitch, thanks so much for joining us. Sure, good to talk to you again. Great to have you here. Talk about this idea that there is this difference, it seems, and you get to the heart of it in some respects, between faith and belief, that even if you're not necessarily a person of faith, there is this ability to believe in something that can transcend the smallness of everyday life. Yeah, I think sometimes people get too caught up with uh, the labels that come with faith, what religion they belong to, what church they belong to, what the name of their God is, or what the history of it is. And uh, I think you can have a belief in a humanity and a universality and the idea of uh, there being something bigger than just us to the universe and to, to all of it without without finding conflict with everybody and always looking for the difference in the interpretation of it, I think things are a lot more the same than different. And one of the other things that that helps us in this regard and in others is a sense of routine, a sense of something that we can count on. That's true, whether it be your religious practices or uh, the simple touchstones of your daily existence, you know, which may be... uh, a meal with a loved one. My, my wife and I always begin the day with a cup of coffee and some prayers. You know, that, that's just our little routine. And I, I, I've come to know that and, and cherish it because the time I know I'm going to have a little quiet time and sit and talk or whatever. Everybody's got their own sort of versions with that. In the, in the first phone call from heaven, this new book, you know, I, I tried to explore what happens when the very simple thing, like a phone call from a loved one, becomes something that you miss terribly because they're gone, and then all of a sudden you get an opportunity to have it again. Uh, And this explores the whole idea of how much you appreciate this very little thing that you may not have appreciated while you had it. It's also that these phone calls, they're not random. It's it's Friday. This must be the day for the phone call. Well, the, the concept of the book is sort of lays out what I was trying to do with it. In brief, it's the story of a small town in Michigan that one day wakes up and the phones start ringing and it's people calling from heaven and they're telling everybody that they're okay and and what heaven is like. Only it only happens to a handful of people and it only happens in this one town, no place else on the planet. And the book sort of follows when the news gets out and people start descending on this town and it starts to change the town and everybody wants to be part of this miracle and outsiders come and protesters come and the media comes and it becomes a big, big, big story. And meanwhile, there's this one guy in the town who is very bitter, doesn't believe in anything at all, 
he was in prison for something he didn't do. His wife died while he was there, so he just feels life has cheated him. And one day his seven-year-old son comes home from school with a toy phone and says, when is mommy going to call us from heaven? And because he becomes so enraged at what the town is sort of doing to his kid and him with this false hope, he decides he's going to prove the whole thing as a hoax. And the book sort of gallops along as he he tries to prove it's a hoax and gets deeper and deeper into the mystery. And meanwhile, the story gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it all sort of culminates with this plan for broadcast of an actual phone call from heaven that the whole world is going to listen in on via television and via computers and all that and settle this question of is there life after life once and for all, just as it seems like he's cracked the mystery of it all. So as you can see from my telling of it, I mean, it's a bit of a thriller of a story, but behind it is a very simple concept of the preciousness of human connection, you know, that voice that we have that we, we use to talk to one another and that we miss so much all of a sudden when it's gone. It's interesting, too, in an age in which the telephone, as we know it, as we sort of grew up with it, has changed and morphed into something that might be texting or it might be email, that the voice is becoming in some ways less and less a part of it. That uh, right. has, has a different set of consequences and, and yeah, situations. Yeah, which is a big part of why I wrote this book, because um, sadly it was somewhat inspired by uh, a, a, a bad incident that happened. My mother suffered a couple of major strokes about the time when I was beginning to conceive the book, and, and uh, she lost the ability to speak. And she hasn't spoken since. She's still alive, thank goodness, and I'm able to hold her hand and look at her, although I'm not sure she knows it's me. But I haven't heard her voice in three and a half years. And, you know, I had one of those childhoods and a mother who was constantly talking. You know, there are probably times I wish that she wasn't. But once you lose that voice in your life, you realize what you would do just to hear a sentence again with that tone. And I see how people save their answering machine messages when people die. Uh, the technology we have now allows you to hold on to these messages like, uh, I'll meet you at Costco tomorrow or, you know, let's have dinner at 8 o'clock. People play these messages over and over just to hear the voice. And yet, as you correctly point out, while we're here, and while our loved ones are here, we're using the phones for anything but talking. Everybody texts, everybody Instagrams, everybody Facebooks. It's almost as if conversation is a bother, and people would rather keep that sort of distance. But I can tell you, nobody, when they lose somebody, ever says, boy, I miss their text. You know, <laughs> boy, I miss getting that email from them. Uh, they, they say, I miss their voice. And we should cherish these voices while we have them. The first text from heaven is not the sequel, in other words. <laughs> that is right. That's right. There's a reason it's not called the first text or first email from heaven. The other part of that is that we don't realize how much we appreciate these small things and even the voice, as you say, until we don't have it anymore. That's right. I remember my mother telling me years ago when email came out, and I was so Excited, and uh, you know, I said to her, "I'm going to teach you how to work a computer finally, because there's this thing called email, and then you can send me messages via email, and I can answer you whenever I get around to it, and you know, we'll be able to be in." And she listened, she listened, she said, "I'm never going to do that." And I said, "What do you mean you're never going to do that?" She said, "If I learn how to do that, then you won't call me anymore, and I can't tell if you send me a text or an email if there's anything wrong, but when I hear your voice." I'll know if something's wrong, even if you tell me everything's okay. So 
she never did learn how to work a computer and never did learn how to work email because she was very smart. She knew that that would be the death of conversation. <laughs> and I, I think we're allowing that to happen to us in this sort of glow of, of more technology, more technology, more, te- you know, the more we can be attached to devices and the more new, the newest thing that Apple can stick into our lives and, and we can we can be cool with this new device, the better it is. And it's ironic that the the only new voice we're allowing in our lives is an electronic one from Siri. You know, <laughs> so so now we're like, okay, yes, we'll let a machine talk to us. We don't want to talk to one another. We want to tell the machine, Siri, send an email to my mother, tell her that I'm okay. That will do. But we won't actually call, you know, our friends or our parents. But we'll talk to an electronic voice. There's there's something a little crazy about that. But it's interesting, though, in in the sense that that genie is not going back in the proverbial bottle, and it does make you think about what the long-term consequences of that might be with respect to some of the larger themes that you talk about in the first phone call from heaven. Yeah, well, I I fear that one of the longer ramifications of it is is that we're going to become very disconnected from one another. Uh, You know, people somehow feel that there's a, a bottle cap on insensitivity that, we will only get so insensitive and then not anymore. And I don't think that that's true. If you look how insensitive we've become to one another over the years uh, and you look at the breakdown of the family units over the years and the breakdowns of communities over the years and you know what American life was like 150 years ago when people knew everyone in their village and, and people lived with their families until death and, and, and you know the idea of not having Sunday dinners with your families was inconceivable to how we live now and the disconnect that we have and, you know, we're, we're, we're people lose their parents or their brothers or sisters and some of them don't even attend the funerals. Um, I don't think there's a limit to how distant we can become with one another. And I think a lot of this technology is just taking us to that. So what I try to explore in this first phone call from heaven is, is what happens when a miracle, a quote unquote miracle takes place and, and suddenly there is evidence that this is not all there is, you know, that there's something that comes after it. How would the world behave? And one of the things I enjoyed exploring in this, in this book was, okay, if there is proof of heaven, what do people do? And the people in the book start behaving better. You know, they start cleaning up their act. They start going to church more often. They start being nicer to one another because suddenly they feel there's like a consequence to their actions and that this isn't, it, you know, this isn't the end of things, and and uh, there, there's something else to live for beyond this. So, uh, I think that concept is probably something, if it ever were proven or 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 became more accepted, that would actually change our behavior for the better here on Earth. It would be hard to change our our cynical nature of today, I suppose. the The other part of it is that as you were talking about that, and we were talking about technology and death and the, the relationship between these things. You think about it in terms of that whole discussion that took place for a while of people trying to take their Facebook profiles down or families trying to take down the Facebook profiles of people that are deceased and that they, they live on afterwards there. Yeah, isn't that kind of ironic? I mean, technology gets warped and from its original intention. And one of the things that I, I actually wrote in the first phone call from heaven, which was the light, to me to find out. I did not intend to do it when I began, but I researched the history of the telephone and found out that there was an amazing story in how the telephone was invented, 
Alexander Graham Bell, who's credited with inventing it, although many people were working on it at the same time, he only invented the telephone or stumbled upon it because he was trying to help his wife, who was deaf, learn how to speak. And he was working on this device that measured the vibrations of the, of the vocal cords through a cadaver's ear that he was working with in the eardrum, down through a wire, and it was supposed to move a little stylus. And somewhere along the line, he realized he could put electricity in the wire, and the voice could carry as far as electricity went, and therefore the telephone was invented. But his whole intent was not to create something that would allow people from afar to speak to one another. It was so that his wife could learn how to speak to him in front of him. And ironically, the woman who, for whom the telephone was invented never used it, you know, not once, because she couldn't speak on the phone. And the very first phone call that was conducted was an experiment between Graham Bell and his assistant, Mr. Watson, who was about 20 feet away in another room, and he, they picked up the phones. And the first thing that Alexander Graham Bell said into a telephone was, come here, I want to see you which is ironic since he had just <laughs> invented something that allowed people to not, not see one another. And yet that was the very first sentence that was uttered. So you can see sort of how, how we went from that to this thing that we have now that, you know, as you point out, you just use it to basically avoid conversation if you want to. And instead of having a difficult confrontation with a boss or with a friend who you had a fight with or whatever, you just dash off an email or, 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 or press it on your phone and, and you, yeah, you've been excused from a face-to-face -face confrontation. That's not really the whole idea of the telephone is in terms of how it was first invented. It's interesting to think about how it will impact particularly family and intimate and close relationships over time because, as we say, I mean, it's not going away necessarily but people will have different kind of relationships, and they'll have different kinds of feelings and different kinds of relationships even after those loved ones pass away. Yeah. Well, I fear for it, to be honest with you. I already see families where the mother texts the child, and they're in the house. You know, right. uh, I, 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 my nephew uh, recently came back from a prom, and I asked him how the prom was, and he said, well, it was okay, but everybody at the table was texting. And I said, yeah, that's what they do. You know, they go someplace and then they text their friends back home or whatever and say, you know, I can't believe I'm here or whatever. And he said, no, they were texting each other at right. the table. You know, rather than even talking, they were sending private messages around, like, look at that one's dress and that kind of thing. Um, I don't know that there's a limit to that. Uh, you know, I, I don't, as I say, I don't know that there's a cap to, well, come on, it can't get any worse than that. If, if parents are texting their own kids within their house, you know, go to bed. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, good night. Uh, what happened to the, you know, kiss good night? What happened to the physical touch, the human connection? And I'm not sure that I agree with your assessment that it's the genie's not going back in the bottle in any way. I, I believe that there are kickbacks to everything. And I think that we may get to a point where we are so technological out, we are so sort of uh, over-invented, because you look at the speed with which this stuff is happening and with these things are being invented, you realize that the iPod, not the iPad, not the iPhone, the iPod was invented in 2001. That, that was 12 years ago. That's, now people throw iPods away. You know, they don't even keep them because, oh, who needs an iPod? I've got everything right. in the cloud or whatever. So I think at this speed, we may have a reaction to where people just say enough. I, I, I want to 
I want to go back to just talking. I want to go back to physical touch. I don't want to text my kids. I don't want, and there may be sort of a blowback on it. You know, maybe a small movement, maybe like the hippie movement in the sixties. <laughs> uh, but I don't think that everybody's just going to get on this train and keep going, going, going. Except the younger generation, the so-called digital natives that never knew anything else. I mean, they never knew. I mean, right. even the telephone that, that your little boy in the first phone call from heaven brings home from school. I mean, there's a whole generation of, of digital natives that don't know what that device is. That's true, but neither did the hippies of the 60s know what it was like to go live on a commune or, or eschew the values of uh, you know, what they called the man in the gray flannel suit from the 50s. You know, right. that, They were brought up with those values, and then they shook them off and, and, and said, we want something else. So, yes, it's true that kids today may not be growing up with uh, a lot of the physical contact or verbal uh, connections that we had. But that doesn't mean they can't discover them. And that doesn't mean that they won't feel like it's their own discovery when they discover them. You know, and they'll feel like they invented it. Uh, and, and so I don't believe that just because they haven't been raised with it, they can't come upon it and then they can't claim their own. I, I do think that there's something comforting in human nature about physical, about physical touch, about vocal, you know, uh, uh, comfort, about uh, non-technological interaction that young people are going to miss and are going to find their way back to, again, not necessarily en masse, but in some form as we go forward in the future. At least that's my hope. Mitch Album, the book is The First Phone Call from Heaven. It is just out from Harper. Mitch, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for the interesting conversation. Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back.